Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Chris Bates, welcome back to the Australian Investors Podcast, mate. Oh, and great to be here. It's always a bit of fun, mate. We uh, we are recording more and more these days uh, on the Australian Property Podcast, so people may be familiar with uh, your voice from listening to that recently. If you haven't already, check out the Australian Property Podcast, particularly the Sunday episodes are a bit of fun where Chris and Pete typically break down all the top uh, topics that week as they relate to property and the economy. But today, mate, you, you've been on the show before, you know the drill. Uh, we're going to talk about property, about lending, about all of what's happening in the property market in 2023, maybe even beyond and maybe a bit in the past. But just to clear some things up, one of the things that often happens in um, on the property side is it's incredibly emotional. People are, you know, it, everyone is impacted by what happens in property. So it's clear why and it's the added effect of it being a huge financial asset, whether you're an accumulator or renter or if you're just a retiree and you're trying to deleverage de- out of property. Um, but I'm curious, as someone who reads so much in the industry, who speaks so frequently and with authority, who do you look to or where do you look to get information on property, like actual good information on property? Look, I'm going to sound a bit biased here, um, but one of the reasons I was so excited to do the Australian Property Podcast with Pete Wargent is I've been reading his blogs for years. I've learned so much of mm, them. Um, Pete covers so many different things, all the elements I think that are necessary with the property market. A lot of people, you know, focus on clearance rates every week. I mean, yeah, that's great. It's one <laughs> barometer of the market and it's not a very good one, to be honest. Um uh, Pete just talked about so many different things, demographics to changes to tax policy, to sentiment, to, you know, lots of different things. And I think it's a great little overall, I guess, little uh, database that gets access to all those different other um, sources. So I know Pete's on it, then I don't have to be on it, right? Um, so I say <laughs> Pete Wargent, um, so it's not just his thoughts, it's his the thoughts that he gathers, I think, are really valuable. Yeah. Um, Core Logic. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, love them. A lot of people, you know, struggle sometimes with them. Um, you know, there's, there's a, but ultimately yeah. they produce some amazing content. Their monthly data pack, um, you know, even some of their, they're doing some amazing things on clearance rates. Um, they do lots of articles and different trends. Um, so I'm always tracking what they're doing in their monthly reports. Um, one of the things I, I 
realize I had a gap in. I didn't really understand how cities form, right? And I I, I love de- anything to do with demographics. So, you know, Simon Kustermark has come on the Australian Property Podcast. I've been, I track all the stuff he writes about, um, you know, the Bernard Salts, um, uh, got any really in the demographic space because I'm really fascinated with how humans uh, and populations grow, right, and how they change. Um, and so uh, anything in the demographic space I think is really good to, to follow, right, housing formation, you know, how populations increasing, interstate migration, how long we're living, you know, how often, you know, et cetera. Um, so anything there, in the, in the development space, uh, I realised I want to know how cities are going to grow and so I need to figure out where developments are happening so urban developer is an amazing website i mean it cost me 40 bucks a month but for that 40 dollars a month i know exactly what what apartments are getting approved what the you know freeways um you know shopping centers in industry industries you know etc so industrial property etc so I think it's a really good source. Just to not that I love the whole new property space, but just because I want to know where they're building um, and who's buying, you know, big sites. You know, there's this big site that transacted in Gold Coast just um, the last 24 hours, right? And that's 4,000 new um, houses that are going to potentially get built. That's stuff you won't find in the media for weeks, uh, if at all. But I know about it now. Um, so I know that that's potentially what's going to happen in that pocket, um, et cetera. So that's a really good one. Um, the AFR, obviously, I think the quality of reporting is really high, right? And, um, you know, great people like Chris Joy. Um, I'm not so much agreeing with what he's been saying the last 12 months with the property market. I think he's starting to, uh, I would say, realize the market's more resilient than he thought. You know, he thought a 1% increase in prices would fall 25%. That's not what's happened. But I, I, I've tracked his stuff for years. Um, and so... Yeah, I, it is a little bit from everyone. Um, you know, I don't have a philosophy that follows one person. I'm constantly building my own philosophy and then I'm stress testing that with our clients. What's worked, mm. what's not worked. And so I've had, you know, I've built that through not by reading a book, but by looking at what people have done. Um, and so since 2012, it's all been, you know, younger property investors. Um, and I've seen, and, and, and older investors as well. And I can see what and people have done really well. What have they done? What's the the sort of consistent sort of themes that are popping out and what where they really not worked for them. Um, and so mm. I would say that's where my philosophies come from and where I get my learnings. I um, I agree wholeheartedly with Pete, obviously, and so we're very lucky to sit down behind the mic with him regularly. Uh, but the other one, Urban Developer, is one that you've, or you or Pete showed me a little while ago and yeah. uh, I must admit that's an awesome resource. I didn't realise how good that was. Uh, until I jumped on and saw that. And for someone who is like an investor in property, it'd be such a good resource if you haven't discovered it already. So thanks for sharing that with us. For folks that haven't heard from you or about you, Chris, a lot of people that listen to this podcast would have, but the podcast is growing so quickly that you know many thousands of people listen, new, new thousands of people listen uh, every month or two. So uh, I, I'm curious... If you, I'm not curious, but I'm just hopeful you can go back and just tell us about that origin story with the business and how you transitioned from um, financial advice and why you went into mortgage broking, etc. Yeah, so I was I was working in a company called Property Planning Australia. They're still around now. They're a great broking business, um, and I was working as a financial advisor within that business, and I was doing joint meetings with mortgage brokers. And um, while I would um, love to have given them advice around their super and insurance and build a long term plan. 
their client base was a typical mortgage broking business, which is young clients, right? And what they really care about is property, right? They want to know, how do I buy my first home? How do I do an upgrade? How do I buy my first investment property? How do I do a renovation? How do I um, restructure my debt to free up a bit of cash flow? Like, And so these are the conversations I was sitting in on. Um, and I actually just fell in love with that conversation, just listening to it. And I wanted to actually run that conversation. So, you know, back in 2013, I said, look, I want to become a mortgage broker. They were like, no, 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 you're the financial advisor. And I'm like, no, no, I want to be the broker. And um, so I became a broker in 2013. 2014, I started the business um, doing financial advice and mortgage broking. Um, and, um, you know, over the years, we just really knuckled down on the broking conversation and all the conversations that come around that, all the property decisions. Um, and we fell out of love with financial advice. Part of that's due to the regulation. Um sort of hurdles that were consistently put on the advice um, industry, making it way too complex to give advice and the amount of documents needed to produce. Um, in part, because we just didn't love those conversations as much anymore. I just didn't want to talk about insurance or super and I just wanted to guide people on their property decisions. So back in 2020, we gave up our financial advice license and sold the business um, and now we just do broking. But, um, you know, alongside that, we've gone from, you know, writing, you know, under $50 million a year to settling over a billion dollars of home loans now and, you know, over $300 million last year. So, um, yeah, that's sort of our story. That's so that's in a, in a nutshell. Uh, we just sat down and did a recording for the Australian Business Podcast. If you want to actually know exactly how Chris has grown the business with the team at Blusk, um, it's an incredible story. But, um, yeah, huge, huge growth over like even though it's only come recently, that hockey stick is really in effect for you guys, which is awesome. And um, just so for full disclosure, if everyone knows that like Chris and I are here today to talk about property and what's going on in the market, but we're also uh, pleased to announce that uh, Rask and Blask have uh, formed a partnership around, um, obviously we've got the Australian Property Podcast now, which Chris co-hosts along with myself, Pete and Amy Lenardi. Uh, but we're also, we want to at Rask connect more people with high quality advisors so whether they're financial advisors or whether they're mortgage brokers and chris is my mortgage broker and um been it's been an awesome experience uh, alongside ben um from the team as well and have helped me even through my small business journey uh, get into a property and and also buy quality assets right like that's a hugely important thing it's not just well here's like a mortgage or let's just go and apply for this bank and see if you get a loan proper advice and so i'm super excited to announce this partnership and and release um the news to the australian investors podcast community so if you are looking um at buying a property if you're looking for advice on property uh please take up the link in your show notes which will be included from here on out and it basically uh you just fill in a form and you can get in touch with chris's team and um, go from there, which includes a strategy session with Chris, I might add too, once you go through a bit of the process and get get onboarded. But um, there'll be more links and details in the show notes about all of that. Mate, I wanted to um, pick your brain on what's happening in property since we last spoke and we did the mini series, which by the way, was super popular with our community. So if you haven't gone and checked that out, go back and check it out. But um, the last, say, two years have been really interesting for me and as, an, as an observer and as a mm. homeowner. Um, coming out of like the back of COVID, things were going absolutely bananas. Then we went into a period of rapidly rising interest rates. And now, and then the beginning of this year was people calling for a 20% house price fall and up to date to May. Um, and it seems like people are now saying property prices will go up. So, I mean, I'm trying to reconcile all of this and I'm keen to understand how you think about it. Um, and just how do you piece all that together from where we are 
where we were, where we are, and where we might be going. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really interesting one, right? And I think you're right. Observing is what we're doing, right? We're not saying this is what we think is going to happen because we've got this massive belief. We're taking a new data like everyone else, right? And what we as brokers, we're a real good leading indicator, I believe, on the market because we mm. can see that someone's appetite to actually purchase a property, their appetite towards taking on debt, um, you know, how conservative they are, whether they've got FOMO, whether they've been looking for a while, Um Etc. So we're a really good barometer of what buyers are thinking, but we're also a good barometer of what sellers are thinking, right? Are people coming to us and asking whether they're going to do upgrades? Um, how do I and or should I do a renovation? Well, we can see that the construction industry, for example, is going to, you know, especially the bigger builds are really going to have a tough time in the next few years because no one's coming to us to ask to do a big reno. You know, in 2021, we were getting huge demand for that, but not now, for example. So I would mm. say the broking industry is a really good um, litmus test to see what uh, client demand is. And, and I guess it depends on where they're working. Like our segment is that sort of, you know, capital city, more the affluent sort of areas, the higher income type of client. That's absolutely where we we have um We've got our knowledge. That's where we specialize, right? Um, mm. And we could see um, the reason why the market uh, had a really – and 2022 was undoubtedly extremely scary in the property market, right? Because no one thought rates were going to go up. Yeah, some people did. You could easily see that in January, right, that there was inflation issues. But no one thought they would go from zero almost close to 4% within six months, right? Um, and no one knew that that would have a 35 40% reduction to borrowing capacities. And – um, you know, because everyone was thinking maybe it'd be a slow, gradual increase in interest rates. And so when it started to happen till sort of uh, August, September, October, um, that was peak fear, right? That was, you know, there was still a bit of stock on the market, but no one was game to buy and no one was willing to make offers. And so if you were in the market at that point in time, absolutely, that was amazing buying. Um, we've got clients who literally had an agreed price. The borrowing capacity's changed. The next day, they dropped their price by 100 grand and still got the offer approved um, because uh, they were just they knew they were the only buyer on it and they just used it as leverage. Um, wow. And so that September, October time, even in August, you know, July, um, June, July, I don't think prices had corrected that fast some, in some places. But by, by sort of October, November, we could see supply was drying up. You know, I'm looking at lots of different areas in the property market, places that we own, but also clients where people are, clients are buying. And they're all telling me the same problem. They'd love to be buying right now. They're not trying to time the market, but they can't find anything. So we, we could see the market was freezing up. And the same thing happened in 2018, 2019. So prices in Sydney had fallen 15% and everyone just sat on their hands and said, well, if I'm not selling right now, um, I'm not going to sell my great asset because A, I can't find something better and B, um, I'm not going to get the price I want for it and I don't want to go into a lot of debt right now. Um, and so the higher rates is forcing people to sit on their hands. So we're getting this um, and uh, so this real tightening of supply and you could see that with the core logic numbers, right? Listings are down say 30, 40% and even more in the properties worth more than a million dollars. That's the market that really tightened up. Um and so by the time we got to sort of October, November, I did a post on LinkedIn and I said, I reckon the best buying's passed. Um, and well, this is way before the CoreLogic numbers started to show positive growth in quarter one. I could just see it. Like it's just, there's no great properties to buy and buyers are coming back. Um, and so we always see in sort of that December, January time, I know this is a long-winded, it's a big question. No, like on. Um, in January, we always see this where buyers come back yeah, they have their New Year's resolution. Um, we're quite busy as brokers in January every year. 
but there's no properties on the market. No one lists their property to January, um, to after Australia Day. Um, but in February, no properties came on, um, and but buyers kept coming back. And then in, in March, the same thing. No properties came on. So no properties came on in autumn last in spring last year. No properties came on in autumn this year. You know, very few quality assets. And then some sales started to happen because people were like, well, actually, I'm, I don't want to try to time this bottom of the market. Now's just a good time to buy. And then the conversation around interest rates really started to subside, right? The, the fears around inflation rampantly, you know, un, out of control, and it's just going to keep on going through the roof. You can see market pricing, the issues with the US banks, um, et cetera. Um, so that fear of interest rates going through the roof had sort of subsided a little bit. Um, and buyers started competing on a small number of properties and we started to see price growth. Now the sentiment's starting to shift, right? Um, I'm not to say that there's not headwinds ahead, you know, um, and um, we can talk about those. But ultimately, the media story is starting to shift from, hey, the market's going to fall 20%. Hey, the market's gone up over the last quarter. Um, and it's consistently going up and clearance rates are at 15 months highs. Um, and so that's where we're at now in, at the moment. There is a bit of a hamstring, uh, hamstring, a handbrake um, on gr growth. So it's not just going to all of a sudden go up 30, 40%, I don't believe, because borrowing capacities are ridiculously tight. Um, so people entering the market right now, I would say they're the cashed up people um, who have still got healthy borrowing capacities, um, who are basically pent up demand. They, they would love to have upgraded in 2021 or 2020, but they couldn't or they didn't or they were scared of the market. They're the ones who are entering right now, the frustrated buyer that missed out. Um, are trying to get into the market now because they don't want to miss it like they have done in the past uh, and they're cashed up and they've still got enough capacity to purchase. Um, but that I think that cohort isn't like the majority of the market that usually stretches and pushes prices up. Um, they just haven't got the borrowing capacity to enter um, and because prices haven't fallen anywhere near as much as their borrowing capacities. Mm. Don't. Uh, don't feel like you didn't um, do a great service to that matter. Actually, an incredibly big question, which was probably a, not just a not just a question for one answer. It was a question for an entire series of a podcast, uh, and you did an incredible job of doing that. Um, and so, the question that I ask, and it's a really like shallow, glib one, is just so property prices are not going to crash. Like the the headline is, are property prices going to crash? Right. And we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know for sure. But if I ask you that, are property prices going to crash? I seem to think, based on your answer, that the answer is maybe not. So one of the things that are supporting prices is the rental crisis, right? And so it's ridiculously hard to rent right now. Vacancy rates of you know four hundred thousand net migration. You know, a lot of people have moved home for COVID and now moving out. Um, and you know, household formation is really tight. So renting is really tight. So even though interest rates are really high, people are still looking at housing or buying property to solve their rental, you know, long-term solution. Um, I would say that the, there is issues though in some parts of the market, right? Um, because higher interest rates haven't flown through to all the borrowers, right? And But it's not going to be across the whole board because even if there was some debt stress, and there is in more affluent areas, they're not going to rush to sell straight away. We've got lots of clients who are bought in these areas, right? They're doing everything they can to um, figure out a way to increase you know, cut back their spending, you know, um, looking at selling other assets or pulling money out of their businesses or going to family, et cetera. They don't really want to 
get out of this market. They're just going to do everything they can to get through this danger zone of higher interest rates. Um, absolutely, some people will be forced to sell in the affluent areas. Um, but even if they do, there's already too much demand in these areas, hence why prices are supported, right? So an increase in supply is going to be offset by more demand, especially if sentiment starts to shift. Where there is still headwinds in the marketplace are in areas where there's a lot of first-home buyers who are leveraged up, who can't potentially refinance, um, and um, there's a glut. So the, a lot of, when you think about this, it's in like greenfield housing estates, right? Um, yeah. Where, you know, they've all got 90% loans, they've got negative equity. Um, there are a lot of first um, families with, you know, one income because there's a lot of kids, you know, young kids, et cetera. Um, they're not getting the wage increases, inflation's increasing their living costs. They maybe not got family support. Um, and, you know, that's where potentially you're going to see a bit of supply issue. Now, but the thing to remember here is that a lot of people talk about the fixed rate crash and there's going to, what will cause a property crash is a massive increase in supply and a big decrease in demand. What the banks will do to reduce the amount of supply in the market will be very similar to COVID, I imagine. They'll extend loan terms. They'll give payment holidays. It's not in the bank's interest to do foreclosures. Um, and so even as the people come off these fixed rates, they go to these higher repayments, the banks will work with those customers and, you know, they'll try to limit the amount of people that are forced to sell because it's not in the, the home buyer's interest to sell, right? Um, you know, they want to, once they know if they're out of the market, they're not going to be able to get back into the market. Um, and so, yeah, the property crash, you know, for example, I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think you're going to see an increase in supply dramatically across the whole market. You might in some pockets. Um, and even the investors, because the rents have gone up a lot, even though interest rates have gone up, you know, the, the rents have gone up a fair whack, not as much as interest rates, um, but and then negative gearing, you know, they can get some of those losses back in negative gearing. So a lot of investors will try to hold on. They'll refinance their loan. They'll extend interest-only periods um, and they'll try to find the cash flow to hold on. And if they can't hold on, even if they do sell, they're selling in a very su low supply usually. Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of investors, and usually investors only have to sell one property. They don't go and sell all three of their properties. They sell one, they get the cash hit, and then that buys them two or three years. And they usually sometimes sell the one that's going to give them the biggest cash hit. Um, and so, uh, so sometimes usually their best asset, to be honest. But um, yeah, yeah that, that's the, the overall arc of where things are. Um, but there is a bit of a headwind with growth because of borrowing capacities. However, um, if we get to a point, though, where interest rates stop going up, and then there's talk of rates coming back down, um, which is what people are expecting. It's what the market is expecting. It's what the banks are forecasting. You could also see at that point in time, APRA start to relax lending to new borrowers. They've just relaxed lending to existing borrowers. They've allowed it much easier to refinance. Um, and that's increased borrowing capacity 20%. Um, but they could easily come back and say, well, rates are falling. Why have we got a 3% buffer um, on the their home loan, which is their assessment rate? Um, why don't we reduce that back to 2.5% or 2% or 1%? Um, and so if you get rate cuts plus an uh, reduction in the assessment rate that uh, APRA use, um, then you could see a massive increase in borrowing capacities with also an increase in the appetite for debt because rates are falling. Um, and that's mm. when you're going to see significant growth start to come back. Um, if you're a first-time buyer listening to this, if you normally invest in stocks and whatever, please do not take it for granted how important buying your first home is. Uh, just hearing... You talk about people that might buy in Greenfield or off the plan or those housing estates and now being in a situation where they have a single income maybe as opposed to two and they're in negative equity. I mean, what an absolute nightmare and I feel for anyone in that situation because it's like a it's, it sets you back not 
one. It's not a bad share investment. It's not a bad ETF investment. It's a probably a five or a ten year recovery, which is scary for a lot of people in terms of that wealth effect. Whereas conversely, if you get it right, um, you go in ten years the other way. Hopefully, maybe not all the time, but you just yeah. It's yep. so like binary. And we've done Chris and Amy put together a free course on risk education. If you are a first home buyer. Go and check that out and start listening to the Australian Property Podcast to get yourself educated so you do not end up in that situation and finally choose someone that you trust to work with as a mortgage broker account. Know their role uh, and what they do for you. Um, yeah. You mentioned something before about um, the rental crisis and you and Pete Wargent, um, who co-hosts The Two Cents on a Sunday morning, there was a comment that you said in there that the rental crisis could turn into a social issue. Can you walk us through that? Look, I think this is a huge issue for um, especially our capital cities, right? Like if we want to keep growing um, our economy and our cities, we need to keep getting talent um, to want to live there, right? And, you know, if people can't afford to get a housing solution that um, they're inspired by, they want to live and even just want it all just so they're not homeless, um, they're going to leave our cities, right? And they're going to... Um, and so I think it's a social issue because people are like, yeah, I love living in Sydney or Melbourne or even Brisbane um, in recent years. And, and they say, but I can't afford to get a house and for, for my family and I. And so do I move overseas? Do I move to a different city? Um, and then you've got issues around homelessness. You know, that list is, you know, I don't know exactly how many. I don't want to say the wrong number, but it's 100,000 plus people, right? We've got issues with social housing. Um, because if you haven't got enough property, who gets the marginalized get mar more marginalized, right? And so I'd say there's an issue there. Um, even just us, the, there's a global war for talent, right? Like if you want to grow your business, sometimes you've got the, the workers locally, but sometimes you want to get some people from overseas, right? But if they haven't got a great housing solution, um, then they're not going to want to move to Sydney, right? They go, well, I can't afford to rent there. I can't afford to buy. Um, so I'm just going to stay. So I think part of, you know, our evolution of our city is actually getting talent here is a housing issue as well. So um, mm. the whole tenant situation is a bit of a nightmare as well. You know, no grounds, evictions, one-year leases. Um, there's a real issue just there, you know. Um, and so we need to sort things out there um, to, to mm. line, better line renters' long-term needs with a long-term solution. You know, there's things like build to rent that are coming out, but that's a, you know, maybe 100,000 places get built over the next decade at best, you know, on 11 million houses out there. It's... We need lots of different solutions. I'd say what's happening though is that um, I would say the rental crisis plus the housing affordability crisis is finally not want the NIMBYs, you know, people who are living in, um, you know, more the affluent, the aspiring places where people want to live in the capital cities who the local councils have said, no, 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 no building in this area. We're full. Um, when you look around, it's quite <laughs> low density and they could be knocking down houses and building townhouses and apartments. I reckon there's a real pressure on local governments right now going to come down from, you know, state governments and the federal government to, you know, start to, you know, give a bit of power back to people um, in terms of freeing up housing supply in areas that people really want to live. So this would be like, do you mean like those inner city kind yeah. of suburbs, like the nicer, more affluent 20 minutes from the city kind of places? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. where I've got very, you know, any development gets applied for, officers said no. Um because that's not what the locals want and that's not what they're going to keep them elected. I think there's a real pressure for allowing um, densification in these areas and um, it's going to be a real 
point, which is great for future generations, right? Like it's you can't really expect everyone to just keep moving to these greenfield estates or to live in high-rise towers in these little gluts. Um, there has to be, like other major cities around the world, there has to be a densification in, in areas that um, people ultimately also want to live. That's bad news for my old haunt, which is uh, Hawthorne, mate. Um, I'm sure the folks down there would uh, love it. Townhouse being slapped up next to their <laughs> nice little garden. It's a catch twenty two. It won't be across the whole city, the whole town straight away. But busier roads, rat runs, train stations. There'll be certain streets within Hawthorne that planning controls will have to be relaxed, right? And mm. um, I think, but there'll be certain streets in Hawthorne that will be too far away from those things that will have heritage overlays that they'll try to keep the streetscape. So the the suburb itself will become more gentrified, I believe. It'll get better high street. You'll get more people there. Um, uh, but you know, it, it'll affect some homeowners that is particularly around those busier roads um, that may have an apartment block, um, mm. you know, well, affecting I, their privacy. So for those that don't know, this is a national podcast, but for those that don't know, Hawthorne, it's like a very nice inner city suburb of Melbourne. Uh, and to be honest, a lot of apartments have gone up there in the last few years because yep. of demand and people want to live there. So that's happening already. Um, that's It's all really interesting because that also brings in this whole idea of like people constantly betting against property, like property is going to fall, property is going to this, property is going to that. But if you think about it, we need to stimulate investment, right? Not just from like super funds with these build to rent things that are maybe a bit more of a pipe dream at the moment, but like individuals need to be ready to act uh, and developers need to be ready. Construction industry needs to be ready. Yet all of those things are holding people back right now. If you get my drift, like people worried about interest rates, people worried about increased regulation of property, like negative gearing, all this sort of stuff. Like developers going bust on new builds, which is probably fair because their margins are very slim and they're leveraged up to the hill. But you keep going down this list. Like if anything, Chris, now I'm not going to, we obviously run the Australian property podcast. So I just want to hold myself back a little bit. But if anything, they seem supportive structural changes for the long term for property investors and, pro- and homeowners yeah i think there's um you know a lot of uh, we need to be encouraged if we want to uh solve a rental crisis we want a talent to come we want to give people a housing affordability um we're going to need to build more right and so i think a lot of those things are structural and overdue um but it's also going to also create um scarcity for the real properties you want to be buying right so in hawthorne you don't want to buy those new builds on the um you know on the main road right but if you could have an old house a north facing rear on one of the better streets in hawthorne there's actually going to be less houses in hawthorne because they're going to knock them down to build townhouses etc so that's actually going to support their prices um and so mm. yeah it's, it's even though uh, there's this system that's going to change what you want to do as a property investor go what can i buy that's still going to stay really scarce um, it's going to be super desirable and it's going to grow at a faster rate than the other properties because it's limited and it also suits, you know, where the money flow is, you know, whether it's income or other assets like people downsizing, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess there's, um, yeah, that's when you're betting on property, you're not betting on the property market, you're betting on one individual property. And so you've got to make that bet right because you've got to think through how's that suburb going to change? How's population going to change? Who's that really going to, who really wants that property? Are they going to build more of them? Like there's a lot of decision-making that you've got to go into when you're deciding the right property to buy. Mm, absolutely, there is, mate, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned like, refinancing uh, there's some changes that come through today at the time of us recording i believe in fact um around that and then there's the buffer rates for APRA on new like borrowing which may change in time so there's strings that the regulators can pull and the government can pull as well um if we just drill down a little bit um 
Have there been any particular implications? So you mentioned like new builds are obviously a point of concern for some people, but anything that's like structure is like an opportunity for people other than just in these um, inner cities, inner city suburbs? Look, I would say that... um... I would say that this, the first tier regions is probably still an opportunity right now um, rather than that wasn't an opportunity in 2021. So when I say first tiers, I'm sort of talking the Geelongs, the Mornington Peninsula, the uh, Central Coast, Wollongong, um, and, you know, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, et cetera. I would say right now workers are really nervous around uh, work from home and return to work, and we're not seeing many buyers go to these locations um and in those areas especially if you can get into the very small markets right where you want to be in geelong is only a a few small suburbs to be honest the same in mornington the same in sort of central coast or wollongong or etc so you know but if you could for example get into those markets that are super desirable for people to leave the capital city for um but they're not doing it right now and they're very limited supply um i'd say there's still an opportunity there because as soon as the the confidence comes back i reckon the the, the war for talent the employee's going to win i think that you know hmm. they they're going to demand some type of hybrid solution um and uh they're going to have the more confidence to demand that when they know that you know another employer is offering it for them right um and so I would say that, you know, the next five years, there's this, the hybrid solution starts to get really embedded, right? And people can't afford the capital cities because they've run. They'll go back to these regions. And I would say that's the only real thing I can think of now. I see people are back buying in the capital cities. Um, and so it's probably the opportunity is now not getting too picky um, and and not just uh, trying to time the market. I think you've already missed the best buying. It's now just being patient and persistent for a quality asset um, mm. and potentially still playing on a motivated vendor to sell you know if they've listed their property they want to sell right they don't want to damage their digital real estate they're also motivated real estate agent real estate agents are still losing maybe one in three of their listings because the market won't meet the vendor's expectation which they've overinflated um so if you make a a good offer on the table for a good property you can potentially take advantage while other buyers are still a little bit relaxed Mm. Once FOMO comes back and people are, and and people are like missing out on multiple properties, you lose that opportunity. So the other opportunity is that once you are patient, and persistent, if you are find the right property, take advantage of it and make a solid offer and and get that offer on the table and do all your due diligence, while all the other buyers are still a little bit nervous on making the transaction happen. Um, we saw a client pull that off last week, for example, um, and. Um, yeah, so that's, I would say, another opportunity. Yeah, great. That's actually really interesting to me. Um, okay, so we've got a few more minutes left here, Chris, and a couple of things I want to say. But um, the first one is, so that's one side of the ledger, like finding the asset and whatever. But in terms of financing and, and getting uh, loans and or if you have a house and you've got a mortgage at the moment, is now a time to lock in rates or is this a time that you see more, you're advising more clients to go variable um, how are you seeing this? Variable pricing right now is off the charts in terms of um, competitiveness. Like it's the discounts they're offering now are enormous compared to what they were offering six or 12 months ago. And so even though the RBA rate's gone from zero to 3.85, mortgage mm. rates have gone from, say, uh, circa low twos to low fives, right? Um, and so they've only gone up, say, 3%, even though the RBA's gone up 3.75 or whatever it is, right? Um and, um, you know, Chris Joy did an article on this on the weekend saying that, you know, the flow through pricing of all the RBA increases hasn't gone to the consumer because banks are so 
um, competitive and fiercely um, competing for new customers. So mm. because variable rates are so sharp, they're very hard to compare them to fixed rates, which when we're in this cycle of potential, the top of the cycle with maybe some rate cuts at some point, um, that's what people are expecting. It's hard to justify locking in rates. We are locking in some customers for you know one year, depending on the bank and depending on what the variable rate is. And um, but it's it's few and far between. It's um, okay. and typically over the longer term, you know, you want you want to be a variable, variable than fixed. You know, all the evidence proves that that's a better option. In saying that, though, we were fixing 80, 90 percent of our customers and 80, 90 percent of their loans. You know, in 2021, 2020, when rates were two percent, right? Fixed rates. Yeah, um, of course. And there's none of them that have, have regretted that decision, especially because rates went through the roof. So um, it is a timing thing, and um, obviously it's your own personal situation, and you know you, the protection you need from a cash flow sometimes comes into it. Um, but there's other ways potentially you can do that as well by having buffers, mm. and 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 you don't have to lock in to give you that protection. You need to think that through. I've got one final question here, mate. It's just a question that uh, I've been dealing with a lot, along with Drew my uh, co-host for our two cents segment here on the investors podcast. And um, it's this idea of uh, refinancing and uh, sorry, not refinancing, recycling, debt recycling. So a lot of people send in their questions like, Hey, I've got my principal place of residence paid down or I've got an offset account and I'm thinking that I want to invest. And we've been through the whole, you know, you got to compare after tax returns and there's risks involved and you got to buy the right assets, even if you do, um, but I'm just curious from your perspective as a mortgage broker and how often you come up with this is um, people that do do this, they take the equity out of their home or they take a line of credit against the, um, the property to purchase shares or a business or whatever they're doing. Can you t- just tell us like what's the right way most of the time, it's obviously everyone's circumstances vary, but what's the right process for that and how do people actually do it? Okay, so from a finance point of view, it's usually quite simple, right? So what we'll do is we'll order evaluation on their property and sometimes we'll go to multiple banks because you can get lucky. You might get a in a place is worth a million, you might get a $1.1 million value somewhere else. Um, so we're usually, um, depending on whether they've got a fixed rate at their home, you know, at that bank as well, because sometimes if you haven't got a good fixed rate, well, you can go to any bank. So we'll get evaluation on the property. Let's say it comes in at a million dollars, 80% on that's 800,000. So that's usually the max the bank will lend you up to. Um, sometimes they'll go high, but we very rarely recommend it, right? Um, uh, so they'll release equity up to 800. Then you look at your current home loan, you've got a, I've got a loan of 600, right? So I could release $200,000 of equity and it's really easy to do. You know, Sometimes cash out's really hard, like banks get really tight on their um, when they'll do it. But you know, at the moment, cash out is actually really easy, right? So mm. that $200,000 gets released. It'll go into an offset account against a loan of $200,000, right? It's not, a, it's not one loan. Your loan hasn't gone from six hundred dollars to eight hundred. You still got your $600,000 loan, but now you've got another loan for two hundred with $200,000 in an offset account. What you'll then do is use that $200,000 to buy assets, right? Let's say it's shares. You might drip feed that money into an ETF or a fund or something like that right um but you don't pay interest on that 200 till you spend it so if you put twenty thousand dollars into a fund you'll only pay interest on twenty twenty thousand dollars you've still got one hundred eighty thousand dollars there available in that offset account um okay. then that interest is what speak to an accountant that's the interest you claim in your tax return but you'd also have to then also claim the investment income on whatever you buy right um on your tax return um and so that's what that's what the whole process is now my problem with dollar uh you know, debt recycling is I think you're trying to make investment returns that then pay off debt. That takes a long time. My attitude would be is pay off your debt through your savings, right? And save hard. 
release equity, right? But buy assets that you end up holding long-term. Don't focus on this recycling thing to pay off your home loan because by the time you sell those good assets and you pay capital gains tax, then you've got a market timing issue that you're going to have to try to pick the time to sell. Best investing comes long-term. I'm sure you've spoken about this a long time <laughs> on this podcast. It's compounding, right? So if you bought your $100,000, dollars of shares, why try to sell them in five years? Why don't you try to hold them for 20 or 30 years? Um, Absolutely. And I would say that that would be where I'd see the dollar, the debt recycling thing go wrong. People then try to sell their investments to then pay off their home loan more and then re-borrow and buy those investments. And what you end up doing is trying to time the markets. You're trying to pay capital gains tax. Um, and I think you, uh, yeah, you, you might friction. not need to sell. Yeah. I think it's much simpler if you just break it up. An advisor would guide you on this, obviously. We're not financial advisors. We were ex-advisors. But, you know, an advisor would guide you on that um, and what to buy and how to hold it, etc. But that's the that's the thought process behind equity release and dollar cost averaging into the markets. I'm just mm. very nervous talking about the word debt recycling. It's 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 a it's not as simple as just buy some shares, sell them, make money, pay off the home loan, reborrow. It's absolutely there's um, a lot of risk involved. Yeah, and it's, yeah, short term focus. It's short term focus, and we know how markets don't really you know reward short term investing. It can, but it can also punish you. Um, and so I think you should go into investing with a much longer mindset and much less stressful, right? If I'm dollar cost averaging into this thing for 10, 20 years, why am I worried about short-term markets? Um, mm. um, as long as I can afford the interest. And I, and I, um, the other thing I don't like about it as well is that I think the dollar cost averaging is um, if you, that income you get, why shouldn't you also be trying to reinvest that income, right? And get accumulation, start to build an asset base bigger than your loan. And so I like when people are using that income to rebuy shares, right? And then they're, they're, they're growing their portfolio, um, right? And so then you really have to just make sure you can afford the interest um, whole mm. and get your tax return um, deduction at the end of it. So, mm. um, But if, in, in your example with that 200 grand, you could use that as the base to start investing for the long term and treat it like a long term vehicle where you do re reinvest dividends and you do do all that. Yeah. Whilst also being able to service a loan is the key risk and one of the risks there. So get the expert advice. And without a margin call, right? So if you go and uh, go to put 100000 of your own money in, you get to borrow 100000 and do a margin loan, um, then you've got the risk of margin loan. The rates are much higher. It's not residential rates. Um, and your terms aren't going to be over 30 years, et cetera, um, et cetera. Yeah, it's so a lot, that's a why it's better. Is you could potentially get an interest-only loan for five years and um, – at a very low rate, um, and yeah, you just need to make sure you can afford uh, a buy good assets. The other thing is, is you don't have to put, you don't pay interest on that money until you use it, right? So you can dollar cost average, you put in five thousand dollars a month for three years, rather than trying to time the market and put two hundred grand in at one point, which is extremely. Cons That's why a lot of investors don't invest, is right because mm. of, to to stomach the you know putting two hundred thousand dollars in the market and you're watching how that's performing over the first few months and people freak out and they sell. Um, when you buy in the market, drip feed over many months, um, you can. Doesn't really matter what the market does, right? If it goes down, that's actually a good thing. It means you can mm. buy cheaper prices, um, assuming they're great assets that actually come back. Um, that's all we like on this podcast, Chris. We like sensible, long-term uh, advice from an expert. So um, we do appreciate you uh, talking about that because it's a question that we get a lot. And um, clearly, get expert advice uh, from yeah, multiple sure. people that um, that can. Uh, that makes you do that with the least amount of risk, at least in theory. So, because um, you could also very easily over leverage, right? And mm. you could go too far into um, that type of strategy and no buffers, and then no, and not pay the interest, and have to sell those assets at the wrong time, and 
this could all blow up in your face. You've got to be extremely careful using leverage. And so absolutely, you need to get an advisor to really nut down your cash flow, your current debt, and make sure you don't, um, you know, go all in. And, and because you think the market's going to run on you and it doesn't, and it can really blow up in your face. So be very absolutely. Careful. It's great, great um, wisdom from a guy who gets the question all the time. Um, but so just to just to clear up things, people can get in contact uh, with you, Chris, um, via the link in the show notes. So through our partnership together, obviously we, we spoke about it late last year that um, your business is growing and it's fantastic to see. And so is the RAS community who want trusted advice. And as my mortgage broker, I figured, well, let's approach you and see where you're at. And turns out your business is now taking on partners just like Rask as well, which is amazing, incredible again. Uh, so if you do want to reach out to Chris, you'll find all the details in the show notes. Uh, there's a link there that says uh, mortgage broking. You can click on that. It'll take you to a form. Fill that in. It goes off to Chris's team and you begin the process. Um, it's something that I need to revisit this year as well. Chris, I haven't told you this, but I'm telling you live on air. It's something <laughs> that I need to revisit this year for a few reasons. So I'll be in touch, uh, no doubt. But um, mate, I really do appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on this podcast you'll find chris on the australian property podcast every week you'll find that in the show notes as well mate always a pleasure thank you owen cheers For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.